Welcome to Education Talks. I'm David Burke. Alex Atherton is a leadership coach for senior leaders and CEOs. He's also an accomplished public speaker focused on the challenges of leadership and recognizing the differences and strengths of Generation Z. Alex worked in schools for many years, mostly in London, becoming an assistant head at 27, a deputy at 30, and head of school at 33. His consultancy work now allows him to utilize his knowledge and skills across many schools and industries. Well, Alex, welcome to Education Talks. Great to have you. Uh, where are you joining us from? Thanks very much, David. I'm joining you from North London, England, UK. So a little distance away from you right now, but electronically right in the same room. Yes, uh, great to have you here on the show. Um, I wanted to um, just ask you firstly, in the introduction, I gave a bit of a brief outline of your experience in schools, but can you take us back to why you decided to become a teacher and, and where did it all begin? Yeah, it's not a great reason, I suppose. So early 90s, um, graduated in 93, and it wasn't a great time economically, I suppose, kind of similar to now. So you'd, you know, there weren't too many employers coming to recruit, all those kinds of things. I didn't really have a clear idea. So I thought, well, I need a professional qualification, basically. Um, so I looked around at a few things. I tried one or two things out, summer jobs, all those kinds of things. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a go in the classroom, see what it's like. I'd done a, a degree that was mostly government and politics. You, you could tell I hadn't really been building up to this um, for some time. Um, so I, I trained in uh, Leicester, um, which is middle of the middle of England, um, and then I got my first job in Manchester. Uh, back where I'd been um, a student before. So, but as soon as I went in to my first practice school and so on, uh, I was hooked really. So I, I knew it was a good fit, um, you know, really from the start of, of delivering my first lesson and, and, and all it brought. It's interesting. I'm kind of quite similar. I think there are there are two types of teachers. There are those who know that they're born for teaching and there are those that later on discover that they were born for teaching. Um, we all sort of end up there uh, one way or another. But, uh, yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that. Um, so you were a young school leader. Um, you were an assistant head at 27. Um, how did that experience shape your leadership development? Uh, yeah. Um, I think when it's sink or swim which it absolutely was, you've just got to find a way to get through, really. So um, from one angle, I was just hilariously inexperienced, which went all the way through to being a, a young head teacher as well. Um, so when you've really got to learn on your feet and do so very quickly, it, it is formative. But, but also, I didn't want to be that young leader where... You know, when you get that kind of responsibility at that age, a lot of your colleagues will think, well, you know, just some rampant careerist and all these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, what kind of line manager is that guy going to be? Um, because it wasn't just getting to senior leadership. You know, it was my first job in London. It was my first job in a comprehensive school, even. You know, it took me several attempts to get my first teaching job. Um, 
you know, there weren't many government and politics specialists, you know, teaching jobs around. So it was a, a whole lot of new things happening at once. Moving to the capital, working in a big school, it was more than twice as big as the previous one, incredibly diverse, you know, all those, all those kinds of things. Um, so you, you, you've got to learn very quickly, really. And, and on the other hand, um, you know, he was a, a very experienced head who appointed me. You know, you just don't want to let that, that person down. So even to the point where I, I remember almost falling asleep, like at the kettle, sort of mid-November, standing up. Um, you know, you, you just have to carry off your game face, really, and 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 see that out because the, you know, people make up their own minds on you. I think whatever age you are, whatever experience mm -hmm. you are, how many other places you've worked in, all those kinds of things. Um, but you, you you have to find a way through, and I, I think for me. I did a lot of reading about sort of management, leadership, you know, all these kinds of things uh, to try and backfill some of the experience I didn't have because I hadn't, I hadn't really been the head of department and I hadn't been a pastoral leader either. It was a case of um, the school needed someone to run their data and that kind of thing. And I was, you know, I was the one-eyed man in the land of the blind, really, and trying to pull it off. Some parallels, um, again, uh, I was the same age as you when I um, took my first leadership role, uh, assistant principal at 27, um, similar type of role. And, uh, yeah, I was certainly okay. lucky to have a lot of, yeah, a lot of uh, experienced teachers that I got to work with. And I think, uh, I think your point about um, people will make their, you know, make their decision on you pretty early um, is probably true, but um, it really just comes down to... Uh, you know, we, we're young and enthusiastic and we just get stuck in and, and uh, prove ourselves, not just to others, but sometimes to ourselves. Um, question, yeah, I quick, yes, uh, question on, um, I just wanted to ask about your website. So alexatherton.com yeah, is the website. You. Get that out there. Um, uh, now, you mentioned that you have, um, you've had significant highs and lows in your career. Mm. Um, I wonder if you could maybe share some of these highs and lows and uh, maybe which ones have had the, the biggest impact on you. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely highs in, in terms of I mean, the schools I worked in. You know, schools I worked in, yeah, I, I absolutely loved um, all of that. And I, I think for someone with a, a really low boredom threshold, you know, a, a full-on... You know, 14, 1500 kids, I think, are the biggest one. Um, you know, comprehensive school going at full pelt is quite an intoxicating experience, I think. So, in terms of the relationships I made, uh, I mean, only, um, you know, a couple of days ago, bumped into somebody who I'd not seen for 20 years. I don't think I taught him. Um, but again, you know, one of those sort of corridor relationships. I'm the senior person trying to get kids in classrooms, you know, and all those, all those kinds of things. You know, 20 years have passed, and you immediately strike up, strike up a conversation. So I, I think that there's something about the life of the school and that surge of energy as all the kids turn up and all those, all those kinds of things. Uh, so okay, that's an everyday thing. But in, in terms of what I look back on and you know, I most enjoyed, and that's part of it. You know, I think back to the, the staff, team, staff teams that you build, uh, you know, all the appointments, the people that you bring in, the people you persuade to try and come, you know, and so on. The, the results days where things really clicked 
and it's you know ecstatic parents and kids bouncing about you know the, those those kinds of things so a, a lot of what you know i look back on as highs you know they're not necessarily individual days and so on uh, you know I, I think it's just the, the the highlights of the highlights of the job really and and perhaps those times when you sort of you look around and you think you know what this has changed this is better you know six months ago you know you walk down this corridor it wasn't like this these kids are on it these staff are on it you know things are really happening here you know there's some real some real momentum um and in, in, in terms of lows i mean there were some there were some staff and kids lost along the way um you know in one way or another you know i won't you know dwell too much on that in, in terms of examples but that you know that was um you know very you know very very difficult uh, to to manage, and I, I think th those times when you know you're the leader and you're trying to keep the whole place together, I think, and it is that sort of all eyes on you moment when it is you and cannot be anyone other than you who has to um, who has to carry that. So um, I think you know, I think there's those moments, and then I, I think the other things that uh, as a leader those sort of buck stop here moments when you have to hold it and deal with it for, you know, often for quite an extended period of time. So whether it's the, the HR case that seems to have a life of its own, it's as of how long it goes on for, I think those ones where you're sort of deep in process, you know, and you, you go from being on the gate at the start of the day, welcome everybody in, right. Everyone's settled down, right. Everyone's working, right. I need to talk to a lawyer for an hour you know, or an accountant, or when we had, you know, we had some really big building projects I was involved with, one of which was taking place on the site at the time that I was there, you know, the fire bell would be going off three or four times a day because the construction folks kept tripping it when they were trying to do some particularly intricate piece of work, or the school would be moving even, you know, with the, 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 drill, the drilling, you know, to get through this reinforced concrete floor that being put put in place in advance of that so <clears throat> when I think back the, the dynamic you know the highs were a lot of everyday stuff that I got to experience a lot you know I think the lows were one-off occasions where they they you couldn't it, it was just very difficult to get on top of it and control it and you weren't necessarily in control you were just one sort of player in the system amongst governors and other professional services and all, and all those all those kinds of things that's interesting um you made the change from working schools to consultancy work just wondering what inspired you to do this and and has it worked out the way that you expected it to huh. well daughter came along you know she's uh, she just started uh, secondary school here in London um, and I, I got very sick of not seeing her awake from Sunday night to Friday night mm -hmm. you know during a school week and I think by the time that happened sort of two to three weeks in a row um, and I was getting getting sick of this and I remember that the November before I uh, I came out I, I filled in one of those surveys I don't know if you have them uh, in Australia but here a sort of annual teacher survey 
do you think mm. you will still be in the profession in X years and so on? And for the first time, I said, well, actually, within two years, you know, probably not. And after I came out, I think I was just searching for something on, on the Google Drive, and I, I found this sort of notes-to-self document that I'd put together, just sort of capturing my thoughts at a uh, time, which was before even that, and I'd forgotten I'd done it. So I think... Um, my sort of relationship with the job and the profession was waning. And when the opportunity came, I thought, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of time out. Um, and then I, I basically I gave myself a year. Can you earn a living? You know, can you earn a living for a year? If not, go back in. Um, but if you can just sort of hold in there kind of thing, then maybe maybe keep it going. So I mean, it started out as school improvement work, basically, um, either doing a bit of interim here and there or working with you know a particular group of schools. And you know, I loved all the places that I did that with, and I still got some some relationships there. Uh, I suppose the bit that does not surprise me, but um, I mean that there's one just the public sector salaried worker having to learn lots of private sector skills. Which is just, I mean, you know, fish out of water. You know, what is this thing? You know, you know, marketing to me meant a talk at open evening and have I got a glossy brochure? You know, that's it. Mm -hmm. Or just how the world has shifted with, you know, all these tools and things that are at your disposal, you know, to try and be the solopreneur, um, you know, all, all, all those kinds of things. So I, I couldn't have anticipated um, all of that, but I, I think it's been my determination not to. You know, not to just work in education and work with other people and other sectors and see what translates. Um, you know, so that's that that's been that's been a big thing, and it's you know there's lots of surprises there. I, I'm a bit more laid back than I used to be. I think I'm a bit more. Let's see what comes. Keep chucking stuff out there and see what lands with somebody. So you mentioned uh, outside of education. Uh, can you just share what range of so you're doing coaching, speaking? Um, so, so what is what is involved in this? What what, what are you doing in those areas? Okay, so the the, the coaching work. Um, so the one to one aspect of that. So I work with senior leaders who are new in post, basically, and trying to find their feet and get established. So sometimes it's their first job, sometimes it's their second job, sometimes it's their internal promotion, and those kinds of things. So you know, there's reference points there to myself going back. You know, you join an organisation. You go in at a certain level, you may or may not have the experience needed for it, and you may or may not have the ability for it, but you've got to find some way of, of pulling that off. So I work with, um, so yeah, there's private sector, there's some voluntary sector, there's also some public sector clients. But it's about that sort of big picture stuff, managing down, managing up, managing across, managing time, resources, and and. You know, at one hand, it is helping people unpick their own thoughts and find their own way through it. You know, at others, you know, sometimes you get a phone call because people have ended up in quite a bad place that, you know, the job was absolutely not what they expected it to be. They didn't realize that their previous experience actually did not prepare them for it as well as well as before. Um, so I work, with, I work with clients um, and that some I see every week, some it's every month. Some of some more sporadic uh, picture, um, and then also work with leadership teams where uh, you know at one end 
it's about they've either got some new people in and they're trying to gel or preparing for succession with a new leader or they've hit a plateau. Um, and, and sometimes it's when they've ended up in you know, quite a toxic place, I suppose, uh, and they want someone to come in from outside and, and get them to work together differently. I can imagine that being um, challenging and rewarding. Uh, but actually, while I have you here, Coach, uh, I've got to, I want to ask you, uh, <laughs> why is it that uh, so many workplaces have meetings that sort of seem a bit detached from some of the, the real business or perhaps the perceived you know, day-to-day uh, things that people are trying to get done? Um, it's quite common that people will say, oh, I've got too many meetings. Um, and why is it that, you know, some of that, those things that people are trying to get done aren't necessarily always the things that are on the agenda for these meetings? Yeah. Yeah, meetings is the practical alternative to work. Um, <laughs> uh, ego is a, is a lot of it, I think. You know, you, you say a senior team or the C-suite in, a, in an organisation you know, can do anything other than reflect on their own performance. You know, they'll look at how this person in this department or this crazy branch or, or whatever it is. I think to, the get, to get to the level of vulnerability where they can really talk about how they think their own performance is going, not the organisation itself. Organisation, you can look at number of branches, profit and loss, um, you know, or in a school, you know, their exam results or the, 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 whatever it is, um, to actually be able to detach the quality of the work of the team from the quality of the organisation. Because, you know, in some organisations, it's the senior team that carries it. In other organisations, it all goes very well, despite the senior team, it, it, it would seem. Um, so what I do is work with them to talk about how well they themselves are performing. And, and that includes, um, well, some, some teams call themselves a team, but, but, you know, but they're a group. And they're you know, people with their own responsibilities and they all go off and do their own things in their own areas um, around the place. But rarely a, a proper sense of, of interdependence you know, or mutual accountability. Uh, and when you start to bring those concepts into the conversation, so okay, how much do you actually know about this other part of the organisation, which you have some collective responsibility for, uh, it just develops a very different kind of conversation. Uh, it, it gets people out their their bunkers and their and their silos. Interesting. Um, you talk a, lo- a lot about um, generational differences in the workplace. Mm. I was, uh, well, I am, uh, still am, um, Generation Y. I was right at the beginning of Gen Y. And um, I spent my time in Australia working with mostly baby boomers uh, in the Illawarra region, um, Generation X. And then when I went overseas, um, you know, there was a much broader dynamic. I was sort of more in the middle of of the staffing age group. But um, I'm wondering now, like with Generation Z, um, why are why are they different? You say they're different. What makes them different? Yeah, I think it's like any generation. I mean, I mean, ultimately, we're all humans. You know, it's not. You know, it's all one species. Um, and I think sometimes these differences can get overlooked. And that that is, I think, something that gets lost in organisations. That sometimes the twenty five year old and sixty five year old got a lot in common mm. in terms of how they see the world. Um, you know, and their 
their values and ethos and, and all those kinds of things. But I think the Zs or the Zs um, are different, the same reason as any other generation, because of economic, social, technological changes, which impact on on that generation as they you know as, as they grow up. I think economically, uh, so if we're talking those, I mean that there's there's different years of birth given. I, I take 95 as the start, partly for my own convenience, because my first um, year seven, which is the first age of secondary school here in England, uh, was 2006. So, um, you know, I take that, the, the first year seven who came in when I was ahead, and I was ahead for 12 years. So, you know, I see them as the generations that came through the schools, although it wasn't just them. So I mean, economically, um, particularly in the UK, maybe, but not, you know, not just in the UK, you know, the impact of austerity, the impact of the aftermath of the global financial crash, you know, in 2008, I think had quite an impact on their upbringing. So on the one hand, this incredible abundance of technology as they became digital natives and streaming and the commercialization of the internet and all those things. So huge opportunity and and uh, and change on one side but on the other side um economically in a much different position and and as soon as the older seas came through the system uh that then deal with with covid which you know obviously affected everybody but generally you know these things they affect the youngest generation the most because it's either what's spent on their public services or it's a case of um last in first out when it comes to employment um, and yeah. so on. So I think all those things, you know, digital natives on one hand, and the first to experience social media uh, at that particular age, uh, and and also the fact that they were learning it at the same time as the adults, mm-hmm. and we were clueless mm-hmm. compared to now. You know, the sheer power of the internet, social media, and all those kinds of things I think a lot of damage was done in that period, actually, mm-hmm. in a way that I think is generational, that the younger generation coming through have got an awful lot more safeguards in place. Parents are a lot more wised up with all those kinds of things. So still at least the same amount of risk, but actually far better managed, as opposed to, um, you know, 15 years ago you could see a, a kid coming home and say oh yeah i've just made some friends on you know this new you know thing and you go oh brilliant fine do you know any of them no but they look nice you know now that's like major alarm bells yeah. back then you know people just didn't know yeah. um and, and all of that i think has had an impact on that on that outlook on life um I, I think final point i'd make now on that is They've also inherited a lot of problems that, you know, if I was their age, I would wonder why that is the case. So, you know, say with climate change, it's not hard for them to work out that this issue has been coming for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. It will most likely be left to them and their generation and younger to properly deal with it and make sure it stays there. But if I was them, I'd be thinking, why? You know, so inheriting a really challenging set of economic circumstances in, in inheriting the climate uh, difficulties as well, but also with new ways of working and operating. And, you know, I, I think those are really significant influences on how they, how they see the world. On the, the topic of generational differences. Um, now, obviously this can be an issue 
not just between teachers and students, but also mm. teachers, but in any workplace. Um, is there like an untapped potential in recognising the strengths or the differing strengths of people in work environments, whether they be people who are nearing the end of their career, who have a wealth of knowledge and experience to share, people who are young and enthusiastic? I mean, this is, has been the case, I guess, forever, but is this perhaps something that we're missing out on more now than before? Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think that that is. I think that is true, and it's not just about age. Um, you know, a diverse workplace is often thought of in terms of you know ethnicity, primarily, but not necessarily the diversity of thought. Um, you know, and how people solve problems and work these things through. And I think since workplaces, um, you know, a lot more working at home, a lot more communicating via the kinds of platforms that we're using now that there is a risk that the dialogue is purely about the work and you miss out on a richness that you would get through the, you know, the water cooler moments as, you know, I'm sure still exists, but just not as frequently all through the lunch breaks, all through the social side of work and so on. And if I just go back to the, the Zs of the Zs, I think they're very cognizant that they need those soft skills that come from work. Um, and you know, post COVID, coming into the workplace, you know, the, those that 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 year group or or two that came out with a job, but then suddenly no workplace to do it in. Mm -hmm. I think there is a risk with that. In, in schools, I would say that the nature of the job means that you don't liaise with your colleagues as much as you might. You know, you spend an awful lot of your time in your classroom with your kids, and not necessarily with your with your colleagues and any time where you know whether it's a training day or whatever it is where you actually do get to properly talk and get into things and you know find out okay how did you come into this profession this city this country this school this whatever uh, and talk these things through that there's an awful lot to learn from that which um you know it's the personal development aspect of professional development as well. And I think that is really important and underrated. Um, and we don't, we, we don't make uh, enough of it. it. It's not hard to get advice and support these days from, you know, the thousands of articles you can read on any subject and so on. But I think in terms of relationships with your colleagues and gaining that real understanding of what makes them tick and why they're there, uh, there's a lot more on that we can do, I think. I agree. And in particular in international schools where there is a an annual um, turnover of staff, um, mm. and some schools can be up to, you know, a quarter of the staff go each year, um, there is a, that sort of, um, I guess, uh, lost opportunity sometimes because it is difficult, of course, when you know, to invest in people who are maybe only around for a short time or even just on a friendship level, people tend, mm. some people are a bit reserved, but uh, definitely something which um, I think all schools, we can always be working to improve on that. And if people are looking to do that, they might be interested in engaging you in, in your services. Now they can go to your <laughs> website. <laughs> Thank they you very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the team stuff, I mean, sometimes it's one-off stuff, but most commonly those are relationships for sort of, six to 12 months and sometimes um you know a lot longer than um than that because the the potential when human beings really start to work together 
there's an enormous amount of untapped potential with that. And actually, just come up the classroom, the older ones who have made their decision about career and staying with it need the younger ones to stay. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that can help people stay is when they feel really connected to their colleagues and the workplace. And that dialogue could go um, a long way, particularly in times when the, the, the crisis is... Um, you know, is is as huge as it is in this country at, at the moment, and not showing any signs of getting better, unfortunately. Now, people can find your website at alexatherton.com. Uh, are there any other ways that people can uh, get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn, basically. Follow, connect on LinkedIn. Always great to meet people, talk to people through there. Sometimes you can help, sometimes you can't, but. Um, it's always good to have had those chats, not least because it helps me understand um, what are the issues out there at the moment that people need need support with. So, yeah, that, that would be great. It's certainly great to have those chats and it's great to have these chats on Education Talks. And, Alex, I want to thank you for being a guest here on the show. Great. Thanks for having me on, David. Much appreciated. Enjoyed it. This has been the final episode of Education Talks for this second series. You can find all the talks from Series 1 and 2 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a number of other podcast platforms, and of course, on the EdEvents Community YouTube channel. The EdEvents Community website is also now live. Please visit ed.events, register an account, and discover the latest events, solutions, and jobs in education.